Well, good morning, and thank you for welcoming myself and my wife and my son. We are happy to be here as uh, I journeyed to Canada in 2012, and uh, Prairie was my destination, and I was glad to be here as my heart's desire was to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Christ, and that's what he did in my life. So I'm very thankful for these years. I came to know the Lord at the age of 18, which I feel was really, really late. I would have loved to come to know the Lord at uh, maybe two years of age, and, <laughs> and then could come to Bible college early. But God has appointed times and places for us where he wants us to be, and so I'm thankful for that. The subject matter that uh, you are discussing here in the chapel series is very important. It's very important to the church in Pakistan, and uh, I would argue to the church in the global south. Uh, because one of the things you always wonder is what would have been better for us Christian? Was Jesus to be beside us in person? You know, we could go to him, we can tell him our problems, he will be there if we need the healing touch, he could touch us and heal us, or if we have any theological issues, we could just go to him, the great rabbi, and ask him, and he would have bring us all together and told us what the truth is, and everybody would believe, and then we would go on, and there would be uh, much peace. But we know that under, according to God's sovereign plan for salvation, he has called Jesus Christ to take on his place at the right hand of the Father. And then he made this excellent promise, and he fulfilled it by sending his Holy Spirit. We did not know how the Holy Spirit would work until the Holy Spirit actually came and indwelled in the believers at the day of Pentecost. But before the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the, in the disciples or the apostles, Moses understood the importance of the Holy Spirit. Moses understood that how wonderful it is for a Christian, for somebody who believes in Jesus Christ to have the Holy Spirit, and then he somewhere in, uh, <clears throat> I believe it's in Deuteronomy, prayed that all God's people will have the Holy Spirit. And God fulfilled this promise, and then we hear that through Joel chapter 2, God promised through that prophet that one day he is going to send his Holy Spirit that would indwell in all his people. So what is better? We have to decide. Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a tough question to consider. That's really a tough thing to decide, Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I will argue if both are important, as God is pleased to uh, unfold the plan of his salvation until he consummates it at the end of the age. But I think it is for our benefit that God has sent his Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself said that it is good for me to go Unless I'll go, the Holy Spirit would not come. So we need to rejoice. I, I, I've come to this conclusion is that I need to stop thinking about, well, Jesus would have been better here now. And I need to thank God that he has sent his Holy Spirit for us. So here in this chapel, you have been thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's lives. And uh, Mr. President, thank you so much for this opportunity to invite me and to share my thoughts on this subject matter. And I will try my best to speak and to build up on what Dr. Ellison has already laid down for you on September 20th, talking about how does this peace of God that is given to us in the Holy Spirit is manifested to the world to demonstrate that we are true believers. 
that the Holy Spirit is real. One of the challenges the church have from, the, from, from Pentecost onwards is the apostles stood and they said, Jesus Christ was appointed by God to die for sinners. And God the Father has actually raised him from the dead. And I almost feel that when Peter was speaking, many of his audience must have wondered in their minds, well, if Jesus Christ is resurrected, then bring him on. We want to see him. Where is this resurrected Lord? But what Peter did is that he did not ask Jesus to come and show himself while he did reveal himself to his apostles and to his chosen people. But Peter understood that now God's plan is to reveal himself, both the Father and the Son, through the Holy Spirit. So instead of saying that, oh, here is Jesus, he said, here is the Holy Spirit. And then he spoke, then he, then he preached first sermon, and an excellent sermon that none of us can match up to, and then he, then he revealed the, the power of the Holy Spirit to them, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the apostles, and we learn that 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus that day. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me read a few passages as we go on to think about particularly the work of the Holy Spirit in the fruit of peace. So I'll begin reading from John chapter 14 and then a few verses from 15 and then we'll go to Galatians 5, 23. So 14, 15 uh, till 19. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the word cannot or the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for, the, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then 15, 7 till 10, 11. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide, <clears throat> and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. <clears throat> But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. I'll take the liberty to read 25 and 26 as well. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The letter to the Galatians is considered one of Paul's heart letters. Paul's personality comes up so vivid that we see that Paul is a man full of zeal for the truth. Paul is a man who has such a deep desire for people to know the truth because he must know from, the, from Jesus that know the truth and truth will set you free. As a Pharisee, he was a learned man. But when he encountered Jesus on the road to uh, Damascus, he came to understand that all his learning was foolishness. He himself admits that. So he went back, wherever he went, we don't know that time, that 10 years of Paul's life where uh, are, are gap years for him to appear back, but he went back and relearned everything. Now that's a big commitment, that's humility. That's, that's a true humility that Paul is showing that he went back and, and, and was willing to relearn everything. While his fellow Pharisees, they were not willing to learn because when Jesus challenged them about their learning and about their teachings and about their beliefs uh, about the Old Testament, as in the same in the Gospel of John, he says that, well, you are, uh, you know, you read these scriptures and these very scriptures talk about me. So how could you miss me? And, and they were thinking, what are you talking about? You are not even worthy for us to talk to you because you are from Galilee and no prophets come from Galilee. But Jesus knew that they have misunderstood him. Just recently I understand that what was Pharisees' confusion and one of their confusion was they thought maybe Jesus is, is introducing them to a different type of God other than Yahweh. Because his teaching does not match up with their understanding of the Torah and of the Old Testament. Because of Christ's personality is different than what they were expecting for the Messiah to be as in a revolutionary type of Messiah, as a Messiah who would come and, and deliver them from the Roman occupation. But he was a humble servant of God who came to die on behalf of sinners. Even the apostles have difficulty understanding that how could this be? Peter even has the tenacity to rebuke Jesus and say, Jesus, don't say like this, you're going you're gonna to gonna die and, and be crucified. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are speaking of the mind of man, not the mind of God. Here we are talking about Jesus Christ who came to reveal God himself. And this is exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do to you is that he will guide us, he will be our helper, he will comfort us, he will convict us of sin. There is another thing the Holy Spirit does for us, and that is give us that assurance for true believers that we are truly in Christ, that I'm truly in God, that I'm truly a, a child of God. John brags about, he said, little children, see what type of love God has for us that we should be called the children of God. And he said, that's who we are. He could say this with confidence. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the confidence to actually understand that I'm truly in Christ. Now, thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in giving us uh, this fruit, Somebody recently, I was in talk with one of my mentors, and he said, Amr, you know, if you want to know somebody's love for God, see what type of love they have for the church. 
See what type of love they have for a Christian who is uh, uh, taking his time to grow in Christ. And you know, sometimes we have little patience for those who are really not growing in Christ. Are we willing to bear with them? Are we willing to to come alongside and encourage them in their walk with the Lord and, and work with them in their slowness? The second thing he said, you know, if you want to know how somebody's understanding of the grace that we are given in Christ, see what type of joy they have. Now I have to go through quickly joy because I know you are done with joy on campus. So <laughs> joy, what type of joy they have understanding the grace of God. It, it, that joy, the Christian, the, this fruit of the spirit in joy does not mean that LOL, laugh out loud. That, that's not the type of joy we are talking about. We are talking about a joy that is a divine joy in the midst of challenge and suffering. And then to my point is that if you really want to know how somebody is, is really secure in their salvation, in their understanding that they are in Christ, observe what type of peace they have. Observe what type of peace they have. Because the truth is that we understand Paul is encouraging churches everywhere that we are reconciled with God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now we are not at enmity with God, but we are in peace with God because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ. Paul uses this word in Christ so much, it almost, as one scholar I was reading, he said, to me it seems that we understand maybe us Christians were called Christians in the early church. He said that might not be true because the word Christian only appears two, twice in, in the whole New Testament and both of them it appears in the book of Acts. It's one time where, uh, you know, where the, the, the believers were called you know, Christians in Antioch and the second time is almost kind of that spit word by, the, by Agrippa. Wow, you want to make me a Christian? It's, it's almost like he's showing his, his anger over that. But we know that Christians were called the followers of Jesus, the people of the way, and, and we, we know different names. But I think this scholar is on to something. He says, but one of the ways that Christians would express their identity in Christ is somebody would ask them, hey, why don't you worship Athena or why don't you worship such and such God? Who are you? And this person would say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. This is my identity. I am in Christ. Because it really solidifies our assurance. It really gives us that confidence that Christ died for me. That Christ truly came and his righteousness is imputed to me. And now I will stand right before God because I'm in a right relationship with God. So the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit in peace gives us the assurance that we are in Christ. Now, Bible in the New Testament is no secret that we Christians are encouraged to bear fruit. Everyone in this room, all Christians around the world are expected to bear fruit. That fruit has nothing to do or our works done in Christ for the sake of Christ have nothing to do with our salvation. As an able body, I'm, I'm called to do things for the Lord. But if I'm not doing things for the Lord, I'm going to lose on my joy. 
I'm not, I will not be able to experience that true joy that Christ wants me to experience for him because he calls me to be his co-laborer. He calls me to come into his kingdom and be a co-worker. And I must consider this privilege. And if I don't take this as a privilege, I will not be able to experience the joy he wants me to experience. You and I are expected to bear fruit. Our fruit, our works have nothing to do to bring on merits for our salvation. That would be a deception, that would be a self-deceiving thing for us to convince ourselves that, well, because I'm in Christ, now I need to go and do something. And I find in North America that so many of us Christians are doing Christians. We just want to do, 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 do. We think that now since I've become Christian and somehow I have to do, do, do and, and keep doing. And that will bring me satisfaction. That would help me understand, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm really Christian because I'm working and, and, and if I don't work and suddenly I'm depressed because maybe I'm not a good Christian. Well, we are all called to work in the kingdom of God. This is true. We are not expected to work unless, you know, we are a thief on the cross. Then we will be in heaven without any work to prove to anyone that I'm truly a disciple of Christ. But I, I'm thank God that none of us are hanging on the cross. We are sitting in comfortable pews. So that means we are expected, we are called to bear fruit. And that, you know, was the large bulk of Jesus' teaching in his, uh, in his last hour on this earth, in the upper room discourse as we understand it. He wants us to bear fruit. But if we be honest with ourselves as Christians, all of us have desire to bear fruit for Christ. But the question we need to consider is that what is the type of fruit that Christ requires from me? Because there is a lot of good fruit that you and I are commanded to bear, but there is a lot of bread fruit we know Christians are bearing around the world. A rotten fruit, a fruit that does not glorify God. Because the end goal, according to our passage in John, is that when, when you are going to bear fruit in me, this is going to exalt or glorify the Father. So the exaltation of the Christ must be our main focus in no matter what we do and anything we do. As I think John the Baptist said this wonderful words when his disciples brought this news to him and they said, Rabbi, do you remember this guy, Jesus, whom you baptized? And now everybody's going to him. They wanted John the Baptist to be in competition with Jesus. But John the Baptist has an excellent response under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he said, don't worry guys. He must increase and I must decrease. How often we Christians get into competition with each other? How often we think that only if I would become like him or her, then I think I'm making a difference for the kingdom work. Well, that's a deception. God has called us individually to himself and you and I stand before him because he loves us. And I love this scripture. Sometimes we know that Christ loves us and, and we have the Holy Spirit. But what is the role of the Father? Well, in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true wine and my father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is God's love for me, the father's love for me. He's interested in my life. 
He takes personal interest in me. He is not a big God out there who has sent his son and the Holy Spirit and then he said, you two take care and I'm here up in, in heaven and I take care for the celestial you know, matters. No, he's interested in you and he's interested in me. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is a good fruit. But there is possibility that you and I can actually ruin it. We ruin it for, for Christ's kingdom and for Christ's work. And how do we do this? As I've been thinking personally about this matter, I, I've been convicted of that peace is very important because our world needs peace. This is a no-brainer because you hear about wars, hate, discrimination, you hear about all sorts of issues where governments and NGOs and, and UN and, and, and you know, people like us are trying to make peace. But this is my conviction according to the scripture is that true peace cannot be established unless it comes from God the Father. Unless it comes from heaven through the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is that my home country in Pakistan where I come from, People are marginalized just because they live in true peace and when they try to bring that peace, you know, their message is rejected because those people hate God. They hate the truth. But that does not discourage Christians. They continue, they continue to bear that fruit because they are confident that they are in Christ. What does that fruit peace look like? I believe that in one of the ways that we can really establish, demonstrate in a situation that Christ is real by actually letting our inner peace be, be felt to others, be, you know, be visible to others. And how is that possible? It is possible. Easter is always a, a tough time in Pakistan. Because somehow Christmas is accepted in our part of the world because it's more commercialized and, and you can get busy with the trees and decorations and gifts and everything else. And, and, and in between, I think in North America, we have also forgot the true reason of the season is Jesus Christ. So, so Christmas is accepted even in Pakistan. They want to be part of that, you know, holidays and enjoy it. But when the time comes from Easter, Christians are always pushed to the side. Because they are preparing to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is truly resurrected, that's mean in Jesus Christ, God have found the solution or given the solution to the problem of our sin. So then the Muslim theology opposes it and they said, no, because you guys are out to lunch. God, God cannot take on flesh and dwell among us. You, Jesus Christ cannot be the son of God. How could you talk about this is blasphemy? But Christians are saying, no, this is the truth. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die on our behalf. And then those who hate the truth, what they would often do is, they, will, uh, they won't pay Christians their wages for that month. And many, many Christians will lose their wages during the Easter season. I, I've been victim of that just because, you know, as a Christian and I was, you know, looking forward to celebrate Easter and all of that. So I needed money so I could take groceries home. And then, you know, you were not given, you, you were not paid that month just so that you were stopped from celebrating that, 
holiday. Just this recently, I was in Pakistan, and uh, I received a phone call from a pastor, and he said, brother, would you please come join us here for some prayer time, because we have brother so-and-so is here, and uh, again, you know, they are not paid, and so they have some needs, and, and, and they've been really, uh, you know, kicked and pushed by their, uh, or the owner of the work, and uh, so, so we are just uh, going to get together to pray for them. And I went there, you know, as a Bible college student, know it all, you know, went there to pray with them. But I was challenged with the, with the first prayer of this, you know, brother who was praying. And you know how he prayed? Just a simple prayer. He said, Lord, I thank you that there is so much chaos outside, but we can have peace here. We can have peace here. And, and this was a brother who's just been, you know, kicked and pushed and, and robbed of his wages. And, and he has such an uh, audacity to actually have such confidence in God. Why? Because this man was truly in Christ. So he had the inner peace that the Holy Spirit gives us. And he demonstrated to us. And trust me, I, 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 the whole time I was just thinking about that little prayer. Thank you. There is so much chaos outside, but we have peace here. We have peace here. I did not pray with them. Of course, I prayed in my heart, but I did not pray with them. I, I, just, I was just so reminded of that wonderful truth that we need to experience and I need to establish before others that we are in peace with God. That's a good fruit. That's a good fruit of the peace that this brother was demonstrating. The true peace would actually encourage you to obey God no matter what. When God commands us to do something, if you are truly in Christ, you will have that abundant peace, you will have that transcendent peace that nothing in the world will be able to distort your, your idea about what God is asking you to do. And how do we know this? Well, Jesus Christ actually encourages us that our Christian life needs to match with what his word says. It's not that weirdo type of, you know, uh, peace that God gives us and ideas that give us. For an example, God, you know, does not want me to, somebody can have a peace, like I can have a peace that, well, recently travel's been difficult to Pakistan, so Lord, you know, I really pray that I will get my own jet so I can fly comfortably to Pakistan. Well, what, what is that? Is God is going to answer this prayer, even though I can have all the peace about this prayer request? Even I can have such a confidence about it, but that's a false confidence because that is for the exaltation of the self. But what is the true peace that God gives us is that, Lord, I thank you that you have called me to be your servant. Help me to, to hold on to my testimony in this situation, in that situation, so that others may know Christ is real, that others may know that Christ is real. You see, when you and I are given a confidence about something to do for the Lord, often our friends or family will be in the way. How they will be in the way? Well, they want us to rationalize everything. If you have a crazy idea about a kingdom work, people are going to say, well, I, I don't think you should do this. Consider this, 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 and, and before you know, they're going to bog down with so many things that you're going to lose your peace of your trust in God. An excellent example we have from the scripture among many is the story of Abraham, the patriarch. 
Abraham dwells among the idol worshippers, and, 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 and he probably have worshipped idols, but his heart, is, his, his heart is not satisfied. And then God, in his sovereign plan, appears to Abraham, and he commands him to leave his father, leave everything, and go to the land I'll show you. Abraham had that peace because God had spoken to him. I can imagine he must have brought this news to his father and his brother and, uh, and to his, uh, whoever was, uh, else was there. And they must have said, well, well, think about this, Abraham. Like, what land? What are you talking about? This is the lush place, and, and we need to keep feeding our people and our animals and all of this, so don't leave. But what drove Abraham to obey that commandment? He had that peace. He had that confidence that God has spoken to him. He has commanded him and he will go. And this God who has spoken to him audibly will look after him, will take care for him. Because it seems to me that these idols have never spoken to me. But there is God in heaven who has spoken to me. I must listen to him. He did not give heed to, to the human rationale. Now, I need to be careful because Scripture also encourages us to seek things in the counsel of, of fellow brothers. So we need to talk about things. But I tell you, when God is putting something on your heart and you have peace about it, I, I, I'm of the opinion that the Holy Spirit will not contradict itself. And I believe true Christians would come alongside and they will encourage you and bless you and God will speak through them. But if you are in an environment where people don't know how to walk by the Holy Spirit, then take that hard pill and choose to go and follow Jesus on your own. He will honor this and he will bring the right people around you. So Christian life, Christian peace, the, the fruit of the Spirit cannot be experienced with human rationale. You have to fully surrender to the Holy Spirit, depend on him, and then you will be able to bear that good fruit, the fruit of, the, of peace. What is some of the bad fruits? Well, it's interesting that bad fruit can be actually uh, 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 very theological. It can be very theological. What I mean by that is that currently I'm working with a friend who just cannot understand the salvation in the act that my salvation has nothing to do with me. It is a sole work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he said, what about me? What, what do I bring to my salvation? I said, you bring nothing because what can a dead man do? Nothing. So you don't bring anything to your, your salvation and God's sovereignty does everything and, and for you. And, and he said, well, I'm, I'm having a hard time. And I said, there is a solution because what you are trying to uh, you know, uh, understand and, and all of that is called plagiar, uh, plagiarism in, in Christian theology. And that was considered heresy a long time ago. So you need to repent and brother come to the Lord because I know you have a faith to trust in God and God wants to save you and bless you. So we are in the process. So he, he's demonstrating his Christian. So what type of peace is he going to bring to others that are in communication with him? I think he's going to bring a distorted peace, not a true peace of Christ. Another issue that we can see is deism. And, and I know Christians who are working hard to, to really think that I, I don't think God is really interested in my, in my affairs. I don't think God is really interested in the affairs of the world. He's really left it on us to figure out and make peace and do all of those things that will benefit, you know, fellow human and the church and, and, and nations. And I'm like, no, our God is a transcendent God. He's interested in you and in me. 
There might be delay in prayers, there might be confusions, but the scriptures encourages us to never think that God is not interested in us. I said, brother, this is anti-Christian thinking. This is really not Christian thinking. You're going to be a destruction for your hearers. So please, you know, study, learn that the transcendency of God, how he loves to involve in the affair of men. And then number two, I just bumped into someone at the park here in, at Anderson Park. And this brother was telling me about his desire to reach for the gospel. And, and, you know, he was encouraging me as a pastor. And then we were talking. And then, you know, something clicked to me that I, I thought, you know, I, I need to know this a little bit more. And so we were talking about this. And lo and behold, he told me that I don't like talking about the Old Testament in my approach to teaching others. Because uh, don't you think that God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus Christ? I mean, you can imagine that this is a fundamental issue that we Christians have to deal with. Is that no way the God of the Old Testament is no different than the God of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we don't see the wrath of God for no reason and he's unjust God. And Jesus Christ is all loving. None of God's attributes overrun his attribute of love or judgment or peace and patience or, or however we think of you know, God's gifts and, and his blessing to us. God have a perfect balance in himself that is unimaginable to us. So this man can be sincere in his approach that others need to hear the gospel. But if he is presenting them the distorted gospel, he is not going to offer them the true praise that really sets us free, that sets us apart from any other religious system. The aim for my talk is if you have missed everything, the New Testament commands us believers to bear fruit for God. But the thing we need to think is, what type of fruit am I bearing for God? Is it to earn any merits or is it solely because I want to glorify God? And the fruit of the Spirit in peace, do you yourself have peace with God? Are you truly sure that you are in Christ and there is absolutely nothing you bring to the table? It is a sole grace of God that he has redeemed you and saved you and there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's the confidence Paul had. Do you have such confidence? If you do, praise be to God. Carry on. And if you don't, then that's okay. You are at the right place. God is going to work on you. God is going to prune you. God is going to reveal himself to you. He's going to show you more and more of himself. And I tell you, you're going you're gonna to have such a peace that the world will long for that because Jesus promised the type of peace I give you is not the type of peace the world gives you. So if we have Christ's peace, the type of peace we will establish and demonstrate will be out of this world. It will be a heavenly peace. And then we'll be able to really, really be true witnesses for Jesus Christ. None of us will have an equal level of that peace, but we need each other to actually establish that peace. First and foremost, amongst ourselves and then to the world. Then to the world. But for that, we have to truly depend on the Holy Spirit and believe in the Holy Spirit. 
So it is possible that you might have little peace right now, but don't worry, keep asking to the Holy Spirit. He would love to give you, as D.L. Moody says in his prayer once, Lord, give me more of your Holy Spirit. Give me more of your Holy Spirit. And his friend sitting beside him could not wait for him to end. And then he had this question for him. Mr. Moody, why do you always have to ask, Lord, give me more of your Holy Spirit. Give me more of your Holy Spirit. And D.L. Moody turned to him and he said, because I leak. I need the Holy Spirit every day because I leak. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit because I leak. The worries of this world come and they, they discourage me. I leak. Do you leak? Then ask the Holy Spirit. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, establish that peace that God has commanded us. May the Lord encourage you. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, your Holy Spirit is more than enough for us and I depend on him to encourage my brothers and sisters with the thoughts that I have shared and uh, whatever I have uh, been not able to share, that your Holy Spirit will continue to encourage them. Uh, and what a joy it is for us to, Lord, be in Christ and have that peace that surpasses all understanding. And I thank you that Paul knew that the people in Galatians needed that peace. And uh, he started his letter with the greetings in peace. And he ended his letter with the benediction of peace. So I pray that we may live our Christian lives surrounded by the peace of God, no matter what circumstances we go through. Thank you for Prairie College. Continue to bless them in their effort to disciple uh, young people here to minister to them so that they may minister to your church around the world. Thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.